Uh, I just want to throw a question out. Uh, what kind of a church do we want to be? And really, I can put that question a little bit better by asking it this way. What kind of a church has Jesus called us to be? And for the answer to that question, the Apostle Paul tells us that after spending three years with Jesus, seeing him every day, morning and, morning and night, the disciples spent with him, they saw Jesus when he was under pressure. They saw him when he was relaxing. They saw Jesus when he was mingling with the rich and the influential. They saw Jesus when he was engaging with the poor and the disenfranchised. They saw Jesus, they saw the private Jesus when no one else was looking. They also saw the public Jesus. And in all of that, what stood out about Jesus, John sums it up like this in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that the word, now the word is a name for Jesus. You know, when we speak, when we speak our words, our words are expressions of who we are. And that's who Jesus Christ is. He came into the world as the full, total expression of who God the Father is. When you see Jesus, you see the heart of God. And so the word, Jesus Christ, became flesh. He became human. And he made his dwelling among us. He lived among us. And then John says, we have seen his glory. Now, what's glory? Glory is the splendor of a person. Glory is, is the beauty. Glory is what stands out about a person. We've seen the glory of the one and the only, the eternal Son of God, who came from the Father. And what was that glory? What stood out about Jesus above everything else? John says it in the next phrase. We beheld his glory, the one who came from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. He was filled with grace, and he was filled with truth. So, that's the kind of person Jesus was. Let's come back to our question. What kind of a church do we want to be? We want to be a church just like Jesus. We want to be a church that reflects, that is, that is fill, filled with grace and filled with truth. Because we are called to be like Jesus. We, the church, are, are representing Jesus Christ on this earth to all the people of this earth, to all the, the majorities and the minorities, to all the people we meet at work, to the people we meet on the street, to the people we meet on the train, at school. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ on this earth. So as people encounter the church, it is the Lord's desire that they encounter grace and truth. I want us to take a look at both of those qualities for just a moment. First of all, let's take a look at what it means to be filled with grace. I've told the church before about a man named Ralph Thompson. He was that older man in our church growing up who whenever I, down to this day, whenever I think of Jesus, almost my next thought is Ralph Thompson. <laughs> uh, when I think of Jesus, Ralph Thompson's face comes into my mind because, and it's not any, it's not any, this is not any great statement. In a way it is, 
He was so kind. He was just such a very, very kind, approachable guy. You know, I always felt significant when I was with Ralph Thompson. He made me feel like I had lots of worth. And um, when I was a kid, I played the trumpet in our church orchestra. Now, let me describe our orchestra to you. There may have never been another one like it. (laughs) Uh, We had an accordion in it. My brother played the accordion. We had a Hawaiian guitar. My cousin was on that. Uh, We had a mandolin, and and my aunt was playing the mandolin, and sometimes she switched to the banjo. And then we had a couple other trumpets, a trombone, and and then there was the piano. But every Sunday morning, I'll tell you what, every Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock, we were practicing. Every Sunday morning, we were in there making music for God. Now, I wasn't a really a very good trumpet player, but I, I put the effort into it. And once in a while on Sunday morning, Ralph, he would catch me in the lobby or after church, and he would say, hey, Jimmy, good job on that trumpet up there. He was affirming to me, and it always meant a lot to me. And then when I later, years later, when I was studying to be a pastor and I was home for, you know, home on break or something, and I was teaching one of the classes in the church that morning, I remember what I was teaching. It was Hebrews chapter 4 about, you know, the rest that God has for his people. And uh, I thought, really, my own assessment of my teaching that day was, man, it was fumbling and feeble, (laughs) okay? I really messed up. Uh, but you know what? After that class, Ralph Thompson came up to me, and he, he pointed out to me, he commented to me, complimented me on a couple really great insights that he picked up from the class that day. So in a, vulnerable, in a most vulnerable moment, and I don't know if you ever know this or not, whenever pastors preach or teach, and they feel like, man, that bombed. <laughs> you know what? At least my feeling has always been, I wish there was a door right behind me. I would head out that door instead of standing at the main door out there. But anyway, uh, I felt like that that day. But I'll tell you what, Ralph, Jim, you know what? You pointed out to me a couple things I really hadn't thought before. He complimented me. And then years after that, when I was pastoring back in that same region, not at the church where Ralph attended, but uh, I'll tell you what, you know a person I visited every so often as a young pastor was Ralph Thompson. And he was already up in his late 70s or 80s by then. But man, this guy encouraged me. He mentored me, and he was just a simple, a simple man. But you know what? To this day, when I think of Ralph, I think of Jesus Christ. Now, when people spend time with you individually as a follower of Jesus throughout the course of the week, this, I believe, is what, what we're, this is our calling is that when people engage with us, when they walk away from us, does that person feel like, man, I just feel like I spent some time with Jesus Christ right there. Wow. I felt grace. Or when people come among us as a church family. Or when, as we minister to each other as a church family. Do we walk away from one another feeling, man, the fragrance, the fragrance of grace. Just, I, I feel that here. Or guests that come among us, visit us. Do they walk out the doors after the service saying, man, 
I felt grace in that place. I felt worth something significant there. Well, that's what grace means, and that's what it is to be a church that's filled with grace. And why is grace so important? Because it is what all of us most desperately need. We all need it. Because we have all sinned, flat and simple. We've all sinned. Using a human scale, some of us might say, well, eh, yeah, I've sinned, some small sins here and there. Big sins, horrible sins. God doesn't see sins that, sin that way because God is completely holy and pure and he's sinless. So even the smallest of sins is a huge sin in the sight of God. And the fact is, because of our sins and because, we're, because God is so holy, we were all on our way to judgment and separation from him forever. Our sins condemning us forever to be separated from God. But we know this. God had what toward us? He had grace toward us. Overflowing kindness. This is how Paul expresses it in Ephesians chapter 2. In verse number 1, Paul says this. As for you, and he's describing all humanity, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. That word transgression means to cross a boundary that God has set up. How many in this room have ever crossed any of God's boundaries? I hope it's 100%. (laughs) We all have. And then you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Sin, the word sin there means to miss the mark like shooting an arrow and you miss the bullseye. And we've all missed the bullseye of God's righteousness. We've all sinned. And then he goes on to say that because of that, when you lived gratifying the cravings of your sinful nature, as we all did at one time, God was a stranger to us, and and we were a long way. We were separated from God. But then Paul continues in verse number 8, and he says, but it is by grace that you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And this not from yourselves, not anything you've done to earn it. It is a gift. It is a pure gift of God to humanity, to you and I. And then Paul goes on in verse number 10. And then he says that in verse number 10, we are created in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say that we are his workmanship. And that word workmanship is in the Greek, in which this is originally written, is the word poema. We get our word poem from it. It, it, it's, It's a word that means a work of art. And so before Jesus Christ came into our life, we were all damaged masterpieces. You know, all of us were made in the image of God. That was the reason he made us, to reflect the image of God, the character of God. But then sin came into the world. Sin came into the picture. And it's like the masterpiece just got scarred and torn and ripped and hardly recognizable in some cases. But then God in his grace, 
didn't give up on these damaged masterpieces. But he sent Jesus Christ into the world. And Jesus went to the cross so that he could pay the price for all of the damage done to us, all of our sins, so that that image of God could be restored. And you know what, you know what a Christian is? A Christian is a reclaimed masterpiece. That's what we are. And Jesus Christ is at work clearing up the scars and the stains and the brokenness, and he's, he's, he's hanging that masterpiece back up on the wall to reflect his beauty and his glory. He's holding it up in front of all the world to see. And so God receives us as damaged but now reclaimed and being redeemed masterpieces. And that's, the, that's how the Lord... Well, that's the kind of church. Let's put it that way. That's the kind of church God has called us to be, where every person you meet on the street, every person you meet at work, no matter what, no matter what, the, uh, what the, the character of that person might be, is a, we, we see one another as damaged masterpieces that God can take in his hands and restore by his grace, restore his beauty to us. So how is grace received? Well, first of all, grace is undeserved favor. None of us deserve it. How do we receive it? Well, by believing, first of all, that Jesus died for our sins on that cross. Your sins, my sins. Secondly, coming to Jesus in sincere repentance. And you know, the word repent means basically to come to a point where you hate your sin. You hate what you have done. You hate the fact that you, you, you see your sin for what it is. You call a spade a spade. And then you, you come to God and say, Lord, save me from that. Cleanse me from that. You cry out to him for a new life. And, and really, the third thing is receiving God's forgiveness. And knowing and believing that God will come into your life he wants to forgive. He wants to forgive any sin, every sin. The ones we call the big sins, he wants to forgive all those. And there's no one outside the circle of God's ability to forgive. No one who's done anything so bad in this world that God, God wants to forgive. He wants to restore that masterpiece. And then Paul said in Ephesians there that none of us have any room to boast because all of us have only one standing in the presence of God, a holy God. Only one thing we stand on. It's grace. And that's it. There is no other foundation. Now, but Jesus was also full of truth. Let me define the word truth. Truth is the word we have for what is real. It's not deceptive, not a lie, not fake. Truth is something, it's what we can totally trust. And Jesus is, Jesus is truth in two ways. Number one, he's truth in what he says, in what he teaches, in his words. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus ended the Sermon on the, the, on the Mount with a great analogy. And he said, he who hears my teaching, he who hears my word, 
and receives it, embraces it, is like a man who built his house on a rock. The storms came, the winds blew, the rains beat down on that house, the floods came. The house stood because it was on a rock. But then he said, he who hears my teaching, my words, he who hears it but just ignores it and goes on their own way, is like a person who builds their house on sand. And the storms come and the floods come and the rains come and the whole house collapses, the whole life collapses because it was not situated upon a rock, upon truth. Now, as a church, we have God's truth to share with the world. We want, we want to communicate the gospel to the world. But we need to see something that's really important here. Going back to the Apostle John's description of Jesus, this is how he said it. He said, Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. Notice the order in which he makes that statement. He was, first of all, the first recognizable thing about Jesus was his grace. And then came his truth. If we reverse that order and put truth first, then usually what happens is we become harsh. We start, we come across as though we're looking down or we're judgmental. And it, it turns people off. It drives, it drives people away. Jesus was known for grace first. Before he preached the truth to sinners, what was Jesus always doing? He was eating with them. He was listening to them. He built trust with them. He gained credibility with them. What is that? That's grace. And it was only then that their hearts were open to listen to his truth. And so in our society right now, the only way we're going to, the only credibility we're going to have with the people around us who, who discredit God and think, think Christianity is a big joke and sometimes have this conception that Christianity is just a bunch of judgmental people that get together on Sundays to see how they can become more judgmental and condemn everybody around them and be holier than thou. And that's a pretty accurate description of the way people, many people see the church. The only way that's ever going to change is if we who represent Jesus, we do so first with grace. Gain credibility, trust, and then an opportunity to share his truth. So he was full of grace and truth, but Jesus was also full of truth in a second way that's really important. He was, he was, he is truth not only in what he says, but he's truth in who he is. He was the most genuine, authentic person who ever lived. He wasn't one person in private and then another person in public. He wasn't just doing some political maneuvering. He wasn't trying to create some sort of external image of himself. He wasn't hiding a selfish agenda under a spiritual disguise. He was authentic. You were safe in the presence of Jesus. And so I'm just coming down to wrap this up this morning 
I'm returning to, to our question. What kind of church do we want to be? And here's the answer, I believe. We want to be a church community that is dedicated to reclaiming damaged human masterpieces by the power of grace and truth because people really do matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning that in Jesus Christ, we find infinite grace, inexhaustible. And it's inexhaustible truth. And Lord, that's what we need. We don't want to build our, 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 our lives with lies. We don't want to come down to the end of our lives and find out that we chase the wrong thing. That, Lord, we want to live our lives in truth. And so, Lord, we come to you today receiving your grace. And I pray for if there's a person or more in here today that has, has, does not has never received you personally into their life. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would now touch their hearts and help this to come to life for them and to reach out to you and receive you, Lord, in your grace. Father, I pray for all of us that are followers of Christ, that you would help us individually and as a church family. Help us to keep growing and to never lose this vision of what it means to be a church, to be people of grace and truth. So, Father, in these closing moments of this service as we continue to reflect upon you. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts, and we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.